Two Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. Hey, Maddie. Hi. How are you? Rebecca. Yeah. What's your name? Oh, <laughs> my name is um, Rebecca Shepard. Ooh, my name is Madeline Anastasia Turner. We both have parents who um, made it so we didn't need to give ourselves fake names. That's so true. Definitely sounds a little made up. Yeah. Speaking of made up names. Oh. Yeah. Do you like how I tied that in? That's, um, I feel like people are going to get used to that noise. That's me being like very impressed. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Yeah, listening, we we um, famously edit the podcast ourselves, and so we've become painfully aware of things that um, we're maybe not so good at. Yay! Okay, one of them is not transitioning, and uh, here we go. We're tra- <laughs> what are we talking about today, Rebecca? Today we are talking about um, breakfast at Tiffany's. Ooh, a very good... I would say archetype. Yeah. Uh, in examining the lonely girl, I think, man. Yeah. Man, is that girl lonely? I, I came up with it because I wanted to listen to a book, um, where I was like, I can turn this into content. Yes. And and it actually was a really good pitch. It was. I I can't believe we didn't think of it before. Yeah, but we um spoiler alert, we just literally just watched back the film. I have not listened to any of I didn't I do not have the endurance that Rebecca has. <laughs> but I we have both just watched back the film and mm-hmm. I was really really kind of floored by um just the lonely qualities that mm-hmm. Holly Golightly inhabits. Yeah. Before we talk about our golden girl, do we want to go into our lonely girl moments of the week? Oh, heck yeah. Should I go first? I I think that would make sense for the flow. So another spoiler alert. Rebecca and I are currently in the same state. Heyo. Hot Lana, if you will. Uh Um, I have been spending a lovely, delightfully lonely week hanging out in Rebecca's apartment with her um cat my enemy oh no it's okay it's sort of like enemies to lovers yeah absolutely absolutely so I have been walking to the same coffee shop every morning in my time in Atlanta Rebecca at first took me to this coffee shop, but since then there have been a few days where she's had to work by herself, and I have gone to that coffee shop once and or twice a day every single day that I've been here. So it's now my coffee it shop. It is deeply her coffee shop. I'll go there when I miss her. Yeah. So this morning we were walking to my coffee shop. Um, our little our little morning rituals, we go on a walk. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. And while we were sitting there just chatting about life, a song came on and it really struck both of us, which doesn't often happen. I'm always hearing music. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, not so much. She has more important things to care about. Yeah. I do not. Um, and so we were like, oh, we really love this song. 
I didn't bring my phone. Um, so I couldn't Shazam it. Mm-hmm. Shazam, please sponsor us. For the love of For the love goodness. of God. Please. And I didn't ask Rebecca to figure out what the song was. Mm-hmm. Didn't big think it, mistake. Big mistake. Huge. The song ends up coming back around. Like, within... Within ten, like ten minutes, minutes it, easily. It ten. gets played again, and I'm like, okay, I really it it reaffirms how much we both are into this song. Totally. And I, in my mind, catalog a single lyric that I can hear repeating over and over in the song, which is, "I will always love you," which, unfortunately. Mm-hmm is a lyric that might be in a lot of other songs. So I foolishly assume that when I go home, I can just Google this lyric Mm -hmm. and I'll find the song no problem. Mm -hmm. I know enough about songs. I have the the vibe of the singer enough to be like, oh, it's that one. Cut to me four hours later. You can, Rebecca can attest to this. I have been hyper-focused on my phone researching every single possible lyric mm-hmm. every single possible song I can't tell you how many songs I've listened to at this point it was to the point I called the yeah. owner on the website their offices and I said please can you email me can you have one of the baristas email me what station was playing this morning please I was a, I, I just we just and so I needed her to be free in, it got to a point where even after Rebecca emailed, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out of this. I had to figure out the song. And so, Rebecca, we needed a little bit of a walk. This is four hours later. <laughs> and Rebecca's like, I'm going to walk to that coffee shop myself and just ask them. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I mean, I'll go with you. We'll go, we need coffee anyway, so I'll go mm-hmm. with you. And I'm... I'm not getting my hopes up as we walk over um but we enter in through the door and the barista that was there when we left is still working and I was like oh thank goodness Mm -hmm. she's gonna be able to at least tell me the Spotify station we get in we order our coffees very casually I say hey this is so weird but like um there's this I was here this morning there was a song that was playing can you at least tell me the Spotify station and she just goes, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I literally cannot tell you that information because I have no clue. And I was like, that's so fair. You are so busy. But we are now sitting, uh, it's been hours, and I still I don't know what that's, I still haven't found the song. I haven't figured it out. I probably never will. And there really is... There's nothing more lonely, girl, Mm -hmm. than wasting an entire afternoon like national treasure hunting your way to find a stupid song you heard at a coffee shop at 9 a.m. It was very Mary Lennox looking for the key in just all the dirt she could find. Yeah. Like, could I please have a bit of earth? Yes. Could I I please have a bit of song? So if y'all know like a throaty male, sounded white, sounded white with a guitar, 
that was just singing I will always love you or I love you always or I it will love you always. It wasn't a cover of I no, will always love you. No, it wasn't. Yeah, that's, that was the biggest problem is there is a Whitney Houston song it, that famously. Famously. So anyways, that was my lonely girl moment. I think, yeah. I mean, there have been many this week, but that just felt very, very on brand. And, I, and I'm still feeling pretty... Pretty lonely girl because of it. I just want to affirm, well, two things. I want to affirm that you told the barista so just regally. You were like, that's okay. It wasn't meant to be. And it was so convincing that I even was like, maybe maybe she'll drop maybe it. Maybe she's over it. No. no, I knew. I was just proud of you. But um, And then I just need to say, because I am a girl from Tennessee, Whitney Houston's covering Dolly Parton. Mm. Dolly Parton wrote famously, "I will always love you." I did know that. I'm so sorry. No, I've no. just been, I've been, I've been just scrolling through Whitney lyrics. Houston. Whitney Houston. I've just been scrolling through lyrics for four hours. Yeah. No, totally. I knew you knew, but I just I couldn't deal with the onslaught of emails. Yes. Oh, oh. gosh. I've got I've got places to be. I've got emails. So many. So, Rebecca, yeah. um, we've talked about my lonely girl moment. Yeah. Would you like to just give the tie viewer... It yeah, tie, mm-hmm. tie it into your lonely tie girl moment. In. Okay, I can do this. So, we had in-between visits to the coffee shop, which we will talk about breakfast at Tiffany's. Maddie can attest, it, like, really messed me up. Mm-hmm. She was, she was uh, like, tidying. She was in the apartment, and she's like very sweetly like hey Rebecca you okay and then she saw my face and she was like oh Oh. I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna get you some water (laughs) I just like like there was just something about watching her lose her mind in the pink dress and I was already feeling vulnerable and it just hit me so then all that to say we're at the coffee shop we unsuccessful with the song unsuccessful so that was her lonely moment and then within moments i'm about to have mine oh my gosh so famously famously i lived in london rebecca lived in london yeah sorry y'all all All roads lead back to London. london so um if you've listened to the search for pink podcast um i have a friend named brandon cook we went to lambda um, we were there at the same time. He's an American. He is in town. Um, he is a he is a working boy. He's working. Yeah, he's great. And he's a delight. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't seen him in person though since London. We're in this bookstore, and all of a sudden, I just hear someone say Rebecca, which is just uh, just the most magical thing. It really is. Turn around, and it's my beautiful friend Brandon. He's smiling so big. I'm smiling so big, and I then introduced beautiful Maddie, and yeah. he's just delighted beyond belief. He's really delighted, and he, he asks how Rebecca is doing. And then I give my brave, watery smile that she upsets says, everyone. I'm doing fine. And then I smile bravely. Yeah. And um, it was very like Emma Thompson, like love actually. like Yeah, like listening hi. to Joni Mitchell oh, yeah. wiping tears out of her mm-hmm. eyes. But Brandon being the lovely little peach donut that he is. Yeah. He asks, maybe 
two more times. I I would say he presses like a total of five times. Yeah. Like we're, we're continuing the casual conversation and every time it would always, he would loop back around to, but like, but seriously, are you okay? Are you okay? Because I mentioned Maddie was visiting me. I had been sad kind of recently, blah, blah, blah. And y'all look up Brandon Cook. Um, he's Brandon like, with an E. Brandon with an E. And he, it, just look at his wonderful smile. And if, just imagine if Brandon is smiling at you with just so much affection and kindness, you too are going to really tell him how you're doing. Yeah. So I start crying in this bookstore, telling him how I'm really doing. And it was just this beautiful moment of like, I tried not to get emotional in front of Maddie. It didn't work. I then was like, I'm not going to get emotional in front front of of Brandon. Brandon. Get emotional in front of Brandon. And I was just, you know, and no one judged me. I was accepted. I felt... And you got to cry in a bookstore. Cry in a bookstore. And and introduce another one of my beautiful friends to Maddie. I think that there's something really... I think it it is such a lonely girl moment, mm. but I think a lonely girl moment doesn't necessarily have to be sad. I yes. think it can be something that's very, um, you know, well, you you're you you don't have yeah. It it was something that could be considered sad, but it's also very lonely girl to then romantically turn it into something beautiful. Yeah, which honestly. Is the point of life. Yeah. That's a really beautiful moment. And I think it's a perfect... You know what Hmm. is beautiful about running into people in places? Yeah. No. Sometimes that happens in your apartment complex. It... You know what sometimes does? And sometimes... Running into someone in your apartment complex that you've just moved into mm-hmm. can lead to, like, you know, a whirlwind romance. So true. So true. You know, that's actually really funny you say that because that leads us perfectly into oh what gosh, we're going to be talking about. Oh my gosh, it leads us perfectly into what we're going to be talking oh, about. What? So we're today we're going to be talking about... Um, Holly Go Lightly, Breakfast at Tiffany's, but also really important to both of us, Truman Capote, mm-hmm. who wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, he, If you look behind you, Maddie, there's a picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. We love him. Um, he's my favorite actor, and my introduction to him was from the movie Capote, where I fell in love with him and Truman Capote. Truman Capote is a writer who was born September 30th, 1924. (gasps) Thank you for giving me dates. I I really do like dates. Yeah, I know. I know you do. So I like screenshotted it and I'm ready. Yeah. And when he was 28 in 1958, the book Breakfast at Tiffany's came out. And it's really amazing. He wrote um, In Cold Blood, which is one of my favorite books of all time. I wept when I finished it because it, it truly is like some of the best writing I've ever read, which then also makes it really sad that he is a writer who wrote a lot of short stories. He wrote a couple screenplays, um, but he did not finish very many complete works. Mm, and triggered. Trigger. Oh, you've, you've got this, girl. Um, did he write In Cold Blood before or after Breakfast at Tiffany's? He wrote it after actually so So breakfast at tiffany's was one of his like earlier works yeah it's a it's a on audible it's three hours long 
Um, but it's a it's like a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a portrait of what he said, a, the young women who flit in and out of New York. These like beautiful, starry-eyed, 20-something-year-olds come into I know <laughs> we're not whispering someone's name we know yeah. um uh these 20 something year olds flitting into New York in the big city stars in their eyes and a few of them survive a few of them latch on to a politician or a rich man or maybe launch a successful business but for the most part they're like flashes in the pan and they disappear and Truman Capote was like what about Breakfast at, at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Um, we've been singing that song nonstop, nonstop, and sometimes we're like, "Oh, what we- about breakfast at Tiffany's?" Tiffany's. I- oh, try it. So just try it next time. You're next time you're thinking, "What about breakfast at Tiffany's, man?" So he wrote it as a love letter to these beautiful, bright young things that disappeared. And one of the things I wanted to specifically look into is. Who was Holly Golightly? Who was that based on? And in the very, I'll like, you know, send it to you if you want. I listened to three books, so 19 hours of audiobooks in preparation for this. Just just so, sort of furthering the, the, the canon of Rebecca's ups. level of like endurance when it comes to research. <laughs> no, I have to say this was my favorite. If anyone wants to run a little marathon... I do suggest these above all else. Capote's Women, which is where I was trying to find who was um, who was truly Holly Golightly or Lula May, um, which is her former name. And then I also listened to Fifth Avenue, 5 a.m., which is the time that Audrey Hepburn gets out of the cab Ooh. and shoots that first shot, which Ooh. is stunning. I know. And then also I listened to Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I've also listened uh, read Swans of Fifth Avenue, uh, which is a novel and not as good. Uh, but that's not important. So <laughs> I was doing all of this. First, I was like, who truly is Holly Golightly? A lot, once the um, novella came out, a lot of socialite girls were like, it's me, it's me. There was a girl named Molly Golightly who owned a bookstore. Ooh. She was like, it's me. And everyone's like, girl, you're boring. <laughs> and um, wouldn't that be sad if you tried to, like, your claim to fame? Guys, this is so me. And this this is so me. And then everyone's like, no, no, you're Molly. Just, you're just boring. You're so boring. So, but pretty much I got the answer within 30 minutes of listening to all of them. And then I just listened to 18 and a half more hours. Mm-hmm. His mother's name was Lily May. Mm. And his mother, uh, the detail's kind of sketchy, but um, she married and consummated with a man who very quickly wasn't in their lives anymore. And um, she was very much wanting to be a part of cafe society. They Mm -hmm. were in the Deep South, where he famously was friends Friends with with Harper Lee. Harper Lee, which is like one of the American classic novels. It's the weirdest crossover in in all of history. And one of the characters in To Kill a Mockingbird is based off of him. Based off of him. And it just, that kind of just fleshes out the whole thing. But um, and then also she was a part of writing in Cold Blood. I, she was Sandra Bullock fa- famously plays her. Really? Yeah. In what movie? Maybe it's Zodiac. Actually, hold on, let me look that up. Okay. Well, you well you continue. It's so I'm much. Gonna... It's it's interesting because like I am totally down to keep consuming media about Harper Lee and Truman Capote. They're two I like won't get bored of. Um, 
But anyways, so his mother wanted to be a part of Cafe Society. She marries another guy with the last name Capote. And I think she changes her name to, to like Nina or something. Like something more interesting. And both her and this new husband are obsessed with like becoming a part of the upper crowd. And what's interesting, Truman does. Truman at like some points is literally friends with like the most powerful people in the world. At what age is this happening? So around the time that To Kill a Mockingbird is actually the time, I believe like up until he's about 10, he's staying with family in Alabama? In the South, yeah, he's staying with I think family. It's Alabama. Yeah, where his where his mom has left him to go be oh. uh, flighty and exciting. Got it. What's sad is okay. Also, guys, we're going to be talking about call girls, sex workers, and I'm not going to say just some stuff about Capote's childhood. So if you don't want to hear it, yeah, these are topics. What's interesting is he was sent away to military school because they were thinking he very clearly was very flamboyant and gay from a young age. They didn't like it. They sent him away to military school where he was continually um, molested by the older boys. And he would then tell these stories at parties in a very lighthearted air. He was like, the reason he... Laughing, like laughing laughing through the pain. Yeah. Like turning the trauma into like palatable... As we all do. Yeah. But um, so that actually happened and... Um, in Holly Golightly's story, at a very young age, she at 14, she was married to a much older man. And so I just think that's uh, very interesting and I think really important about Capote. Um, and so he was just famously a very entertaining, um, just like he would wear a scarf that like trailed the ground. Mm. He would be wearing silk kimono. Like he very much was like, I know who I am. And I'm right here and I'm not ashamed of who I am. Like, mm. he was going to make sure you knew he was gay before anyone before. could start whispering. Mm. So anyways, which is, how lonely is it's, this? Yeah, you. I mean, it's an ultimate, it's the ultimate defense. Mm-hmm. And, like, understandable. Especially yeah. considering the time and the environment. But still so lonely. So lonely. So what happened in between like military school mm-hmm. and moving into society. He got a job at I believe the New Yorker, I want to say. He got a job as like like an errand boy mm-hmm. or like a very low low job and um where he what he was like I'm way above this. I am too good for this. And there is actually a conference Who's the one that wrote Robert Frost? He actually went to this conference where he was like, yes, I work. I work at this major magazine. And he didn't mention he wasn't a writer. <laughs> and he at one point, I think his like leg falls asleep and he's in the front row of this huge reading for Robert Frost. And he like gets up and he's like hobbling out. And Robert Frost is so offended that this journalist that from, I think, The New Yorker is walking out on him that he's fired because he <gasps> Robert Frost gets, like, so freaking mad. Bobby Frost, how dare you? Bobby, baby. Um, and so from then, but Truman, truly, I cannot put this enough, he was such a talented writer, but what he is truly known for also is, like, 
a, almost a socialite. Yeah. And he was, he endeared himself into literary society, like his mom, but he was actually successful. He fought his way in, and um, I believe it's Voices in Other Rooms. He's sort of almost like a like a courtesan. He really is, and I mean that is like I'm trying to think of. I mean the modern day, we're so we have much less of like a rigid hierarchy in terms. Mm-hmm. Well, at least in America, but I'm trying to think of like a thing that would be the closest to that these days. Yeah, and I guess it would sort of be like an influencer type or someone who's achieved an amount of fame in yeah. some way for kind of like being himself yeah but also if you think about it what we're going to be talking about is a call girl a kept man and in some ways he like uh, the like um these directors wives these politicians wives they'd be like oh sweetie we're going on vacation can't we bring truman mm. and he would go on yachts he would be in palaces he was living the most glamorous life but he was a kept man. Yeah, but he, it was like in a a you know, a gay best friend gay, sort of he way. He was a gay best friend for the for the rich and famous. And what's interesting is I believe Slim at one point writes, um, which let me look up John not John Hawks, um, the director. Oh yes, 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 John Hawks, which actually Slim, who is my favorite, I think of all the swans, um, was the inspiration for. Uh, like his girl Friday, that like snappy, like, well, I'm a. Catherine Hepburn. But, anyways, she, every single swan who are his exclusive uh, group of women who he loved because they were beautiful, but they were in their like 30s, 40s, 50s, mm. and his fascination with them was not that they were pretty and young and sparkly. He said that there was such a glamour of how they put themselves together and presented as these beautiful women. I wonder if there was a bit of like him wanting a mommy. Oh, it was so mommy issues. Yeah. So much. I imagine there was a lot of like, I couldn't get my mom to love me enough to stick around, but I mm-hmm. can endear myself enough to these older women mm-hmm. who would have been around the same age as my mother when she left and are sort of akin to my mother in terms of temperament and the lifestyle that she craved. Yes, and yes, exactly. Yes. And then I think the the sad thing that we eventually unfortunately have to end it on is I think a big part of it is not to make it all about him being gay. He also is just so many facets to him, but from being a gay man at that time and he was he said it first before he could be rejected and he was loud and proud, but he was a gay man in a very homophobic society and at the end of his life he actually he he said like his editor was like dude I don't think you should put this out and he said back uh nah they're too dumb (laughs) they won't get it and he wrote this he he published I think like the first few chapters of his upcoming book that he teased for years he 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 did not publish as much as he said he was going to because he got very distracted I know he got very distracted with everything about being a famous writer that he kind of didn't write as much as he should have. Um, yeah. So, um, so, so anyways, but what is really sad is I think out of this kind of like bitterness and this, I don't want to say jealousy, but he writes an expose. It is so thinly veiled that each who each of these 
just like like imagine like Oprah, Michelle Obama, Kate Middleton, like yeah. these women that the world just absolutely knew, and he just Julie aired, Andrews, Julie Andrews, Julie. Julie Andrews. Andrews. It was just, it was so clear who these women were. And he was like, oh, well, this husband cheats on this wife with this nanny. And this person's had, like, this plastic surgery. And what's wild is he literally has written in cold blood, like, I hope someone reads this from this, the best thing I have ever read, but he got so distracted with life, this high life, that he ends up writing, like, like, smut. And he just slams all of his friends. Wait, so sorry. Did he write In Cold Blood before or after yes. this? So his like his last thing you're ever going to see from him for that, I believe, in Vanity Fair, the first few um, chapters were published. And it immediately was so clear. And so what is so sad is all almost every single of these women leave him. Actually, famously, he was best friends with uh, Jackie Kennedy's younger sister. Lee. Lee, mm-hmm, Lee Radswell. Um, and she he doesn't slam her. He really loved her. But um, he's abandoned. And he fall, uh, falls farther and farther into addiction. He never writes another thing that is worthy of him. He was a great journalist, you know. He wrote some great pieces. But unfortunately, I think, who would have been one of my favorite writers of all time, and I obviously adore, there's just so much work that we could have had. Yeah. And so it's like, it's truly very sad. And what he did to his friends, I just think comes from such a mean, sad Place. Such a, like a damaged place. And, and these the were... world was so unkind to him, and he survived mm-hmm. in a. He survived in a way that he like figured out how to do, but was like not sustainable. And and it truly broke him. And these are the relationships, not of like three years. These were like lifelong built relationships that like just to begin to show he was actually writing this book. He had been going around saying was going to be the best book ever yeah for years he, to just put out a few chapters he just ruined a lot of relationships and uh, how did he die he died just of he died when he was 60 and it was just he took such terrible care of himself he just, At, like, like like had like a heart attacker yeah, yeah in LA he was visiting a friend and the whole battle over his ashes is very depressing and, and I don't want to go into it um, but he died at a friend's house in LA. I don't believe he took his own life, but by the way that he was living, he did. It wasn't a, you know, a suicide in a sort of definitive singular moment, but just... It wasn't almost like an action. It was almost like inaction. Like, really, really sad life. And a very lonely girl. I think Truman Capote is like... You can tell in all the ways that he create or sort of sought success and craved attention. Mm-hmm. He was clearly so desperate for love and connection and getting it in the way that he knew how to. And living in a time where his sexuality was demonized, mm-hmm. it's kind of a miracle that he was able to get to the point where he was and to live like as loud and proud as he was able to. Mm -hmm. I think I really like that he wrote about women. I think Mm -hmm. there's something really interesting about that. And especially in that era, 
it's so rare to see um, a portrait of a woman in such like a nuanced, complicated, but toxic way. Yeah, Truman was 28. When Breakfast at Tiffany's came out, it immediately there was like a bidding war for the rights for the script. It was properly a big deal. People were reading Breakfast at Tiffany's. And this is one of the reasons, this is, he dies at 60. He's not even halfway through his life. And he put out one of the most iconic, like, people have not even... We haven't, stu- like, I... I knew what Breakfast at Tiffany's was in, like, very m- modern pop culture in t- to the early 2000s. Yeah, no, it's... It had, not, it had not left the cultural lexicon at all. It's still very relevant even to this day. Two-year-olds are dressed as Holly Golightly for Halloween, like... So literally to this day. To the... Oh, of course to this day. It's so iconic, and he wasn't even halfway through his life. So... My question is, we talked about how his mom was named mm. Lily. Lily May. Mm-hmm. And so her and a bunch of other sort of New York society girls are Holly Golightly. But I do think that Truman Capote is Holly Golightly in yeah. a sense. Yeah. I think there's part of him as almost like a wish fulfillment of sorts. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, a a wish fulfillment, and also he was friends, because, okay, here's the thing about Truman, he also obviously loved collecting Mm. the most gorgeous, lovely little birds, and he, and I believe this, I think he was actually really good friends with Marilyn Monroe, I think it shows so much of who he saw Holly Golightly as, he had told Marilyn he wanted her to be Holly. Mm. Her reps eventually, like, they were like, she's not going to play a call girl, you know. A um, kook. A kook, <laughs> we'll go into. Um, but that is how he saw Marilyn, who, he, he said, like, that he described Marilyn as that, like, lovely little child. Mm. And I think um, that says so much. But also... and this is one of the reasons I didn't, sorry, but I didn't like Swans of Fifth Avenue, is actually Truman is often described as, like, childlike or, like, a little nymph. Or, because I think he was, like, 5'4", 5'5". Yeah, and he has this sort of, like, high, very feminine, very, yeah, very feminine voice. Baby face. Yeah. Literally. And a very distinct-looking guy. And so I think there was this innocence wide-eyedness about Marilyn who she was very just childlike as in like do you love me is this Mm. good enough you know she didn't know who her dad was daddy issues galore he had mommy issues galore and I think and so anyways I just think it's interesting that people all these articles are like who is the real Holly who is the real Holly and just I I'm like no I think it's quite simple it's very simple it's like no one like no one's the real holly but like all the women he collected were he would only collect women Mm. who could be holly yeah yeah and i think it's honestly holly is really just a symbol of loneliness Mm. and i think also holly is one of those people who people projected who they wanted her to be yeah. You know, like the doc that comes later. And we'll, we'll get into this. 
a little bit. Probably not going to give you all the whole plot synopsis. (laughs) Just just watch it. It's one of the most famous films of all time. Yeah, no, we're not going to give, we're not breaking that down. No, no, no. That's your fault. Yeah. (laughs) But um, we do meet a myriad of different men who fall in love with her. And yeah, she's charming, charming. But definitely Holly is someone who everybody projects something on her. Mm. And I think she can sustain it to an extent it's sort of easy to figure out who you need to be in that moment. Mm-hmm. The I don't remember the name of the character, but he goes, so what do you, th- do you think she's... OJ, you, I think. OJ? Yeah, I think so. Do you think she's a phony? Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, she is, but she's a real phony, mm-hmm. which means there's nothing else that she can possibly be. Yeah, and also I think like, it, in a, it might be a line, or maybe I'm just putting it in, that she buys it. Whatever she's projecting, yeah, she believes it. So, like, is it actually being a phony? Right. And then that's the, that's the question that keeps people so fascinated. And also, I mean, I think in my sort of younger years, I say as if I'm so old. We are. We're so old. Rebecca just had a birthday, so mm-hmm. now she's the <laughs> That's same. That's what old people have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there are there were times where I was in my most anxious moments around others. I would be desperate for someone to tell me who they wanted me to be, mm. so I could be at least something. I could have significance in someone's eyes, and so the beauty of getting older and aging like confidently and you know learning more about yourself and dealing with like the hard parts of who you are is being able to claim an identity that is your own mm-hmm. and uh not have that lingering anxiety of like am I a phony mm-hmm. because I feel like if you believe whatever someone is projecting onto you that can absolutely explode your entire self-perception yeah I've had a few relationships that became really toxic just because they saw me as one way so I invested so much into the relationship trying to show them I actually wasn't this thing Mm -hmm. and um wasted a lot of freaking time and also gets us into the book um a big difference is I looked up uh so sorry yeah So right now we're going to talk about the differences between the book Breakfast Mm -hmm. at Tiffany's and the film Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we have both just watched the film. Mm -hmm. Rebecca listened to the audiobook. I have not visited the book in a couple years. Mm -hmm. So I am very interested to sort of hear her break down the big differences between the book and the film. Yes. And also I was telling Maddie, so you actually have read it? Yeah, oh, when okay. I was like okay. in high school. Okay, because I kept just telling it to her um, <laughs> as if I was like, well, no. Okay, so I think a really imp- important difference, and if you listen to the audiobook, you're kind of like, I feel like I'm just watching the movie. And I actually, I think that's one of the reasons I reacted so strongly to Audrey Hepburn. I don't think I realized what a good job she did until I was listening to the book and I was like, oh my gosh, like these notes are so important and interesting and like tiny and textured. Do you have any sort of examples you can think of? Um, Honestly, I think it's the effortlessness of like, oh darling, I worship you, I live for you, as she's 
cramming the door closed and escaping. It's more like, I think it's actually just more you buy it. Yeah. When Audrey... You buy it on the film more than you buy it in the book? No, I think it... Or No. Well, I think... Mm-hmm. I think all the details of this character in the book, you're like, who is this? Who is this? Mm. And it's... It, with so many other actors would have played it and you wouldn't have believed it. I think it's actually... These lines are kind of ridiculous. Like, oh, I hate snoops. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. And you're just like, uh, if... Okay, do you want to try to say I hate yeah, let me try. Okay, cool. So ask me something really invasive about my life. Oh, gosh. You don't have to... Did you... Okay, did you pay your taxes? I hate Snoops. Wait, Maddie, that was really good. Yeah. Okay, so no, anyways, she she goes through just this whole emotional journey. Or Okay, so like the doctor shows up, her husband that married her at 14, and you actually the the you find out in the book that she sleeps with the doctor she's like oh but he came such a long way so i just yeah so she actually sleeps with him which actually in the movie the doctor picks her up and she looks lovingly into his eyes and you know i guess that could be implied but um but like that's a really hard note to play of like this is a man who married me at 14. That you ran away from. That you ran away from. But the what he walks up and the way she smiles at him, there is some fear. There is some sadness. But also there is still like love in her eyes. Yeah. That's like, that's actually properly not easy to play. No. And I, I think it feeds into her buying into what someone is projecting onto her mm. which why leaving him actually was probably really hard for her maybe the hardest thing she had actually ever done and yeah. then and then telling him again that she wasn't going back with him mm-hmm. was genuinely difficult for her rebecca what are the differences between the book mm-hmm. and the film breakfast at tiffany's yeah so one of the first things that we were talking about when watching the movie holly golightly in the book is 20 20-ish. It's way more interesting that Audrey Hepburn is 31 when this is made. And I think that is just much more interesting than instead of... she. That means that this uh, ramshackle, glamour, glittery tightrope act she's been doing... It's kind of like... It's reaching its breaking point. It is. And it's been going... And she's also been maintaining this for a long time. Um, in the book, it's like she was in L.A. for a while and now she's in New York um, and gave kind of that I don't know who I am thing. One of the most important things is the character of Fred Paul. Fred Paul. Paul Fred. Um, in of the film, he is a love interest. Yes. In the book, he is the narrator slash the gay, a gay neighbor of hers who was a writer um, is sort of like a Truman Capote insert. Yes, yes. He is observing her. And just like Truman Capote was like in love with some of his swans, just fascinated and followed them. Um, it wasn't in that compulsory heterosexual way. No, but actually what's really interesting now that I'm thinking about it is, so, uh, so towards the end of the short story, we learn she runs off to Brazil as she was, she stopped from doing in the movie, um, and she does, and then 
at the beginning, but we're brought into the story by someone's like, hey, we found this picture of this wood carving and doesn't this look like Holly's face? Do you think she was once in Africa? <laughs> it's a, it's a, not a, my favorite beginning, but it's interesting because this narrator character is like, I forgot about her. Oh, yeah. And it seems oh. like there's kind of this like mean, nasty edge to mm. it, which is actually a really interesting foreshadowing of these sparkly women that Truman used to adore and collect. They eventually lost their interest. It's like kind of that codependency of like, you give me so much value, you give me so much value, and I feel good from association with you oh, you've hurt me, and then you're a bad, broken thing. Mm. And I think she was interesting and fascinating to him. And, like, to the point of, like, I think he, like, the narrator looks through her trash at one point. He's, like, truly fascinated by this woman Mm. in a non-romantic way. And so that's a big difference, um, is their dynamic is completely different. And also, he's not, what should we call them? A call girl? And So in, yeah, so Holly Golightly, unofficially like a call girl. So she gets paid money to spend time with men. It's, in the film, it's not strictly, you know, put out there if she is expected to engage Mm -hmm. with them sexually. But I think... For some of them, that might happen if it happens, and it might not if it if it doesn't. Yeah. And uh, but the the narrator, Freddie, Fred Babe, Freddie Baby, Freddie Baby, Fred Baby. That's what it is. It's Fred Baby. Yeah. There we go. Fred Baby um, is definitely engaging in sexual intercourse with mm-hmm. a a married woman who's an interior decorator mm-hmm. or. I think she is interior decorating his flat. In the book, mm. is Fred Baby, is Paul Fred, is he, does he have a relationship with a married woman? No. Mm-mm. Okay, so then it's like, it, it, he's just sort of has a fascination with this girl. Yes, and I believe, yeah, and like, no, 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 they do actually steal some, they do steal. They so, go They go to the, like, the 5 and 10 store and they mm-hmm. steal. Such yeah, a cute scene. It's such a cute scene. So, really, it's, it is kind of amazing how seamlessly the love story is put in, which, of course, then changes the ending, um, because he already is so drawn to her. And um, the person who wrote the script, actually, um, had written The Seven Year Itch, which if anyone has seen it, it's a very like body kind of sec. It's like a sexy pushing the letter, the edge of what could be shown on TV at the time. Yes, it's it's a, it's a, it would be like an edgy, like Judd Apatow. Yeah, like a sex yeah. Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. when they don't want it very, yeah, I think he kind of would be a Judd Apatow and he, um, as Judd Apatow was like, I can do serious things. And yeah. actually, one of the reasons that the studio didn't initially want him to write it is the censor people already didn't like this guy. Yeah. So they were like, if we have a movie about a call girl yeah. and your name is on it. Like, people are going to be like, okay, what is this 
sex comedy. Yeah, and and like this also disgusting crude sex comedy. And they're and they're barely going to get it passed. So here's another thing. I think this is important for the marketing of this movie, getting Audrey Hepburn to play a call girl, it being a call girl. And also I think by having Audrey's image so spick and span and bright-eyed and also they dress her just as this like fashion this classic do they in the book does he talk about the type of clothing that she wears um i actually think there are references to like kimonos and stuff okay i i yeah but there is nothing but it's not like oh she was wearing like a chic black tuxedo yeah okay yeah tuxedo she's wearing like a a little beehive she does have blonde streaks though oh that's brown hair with blonde streaks that's really interesting i did it it, the the early 2000s are back you guys what can we say they are um so yeah so but like like all of those sort of style decisions were mm -hmm. part of like the production design yes and not necessarily taken directly from the book yes and also a big difference the party scene one of our favorite scenes there's there's like which is great that it's in there for many reasons but also like it's talked about these parties there is actually a big party where holly and um fred baby have a fight and they don't talk for months so Mm. actually that break does happen but it's it i mean it's not described in the charming amazing detail yeah. of the party scene where a lot of those bits actually were improvised so when it was sold to hollywood it was just obviously we have to put in a love story we yeah. can't have a gay narrator and a call just girl like in a, a call- gay narrator and a and a call, call girl. girl and the, so the the writer like no one could figure out how to make this script work and the guy when he sat down with it he was like, okay, so these two people do have sex. Yeah. How do we, What if they're both attractive, if they both like each other and sleep around, why in the world wouldn't they sleep with one another? And it's because, for one, she's afraid of being captured and she doesn't like cages. She does say the things about the wild things. Even mm. the doctor being like, you were always bringing home wild things. Mm. Like, a lot of the lines are still there, but it's, it's genius and it's so romantic. What if he is also in a similar situation, yes. but in the sort of what that looks like in the confines of like a patriarchal society yeah. from like the male perspective? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do think we should mention mm. um, something that made us very uncomfortable while watching the film. Yeah. Which is all the scenes with Mickey Rooney's incredibly racist portrayal of a Japanese man. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, is it racist, would you say? Um, Did it... N- I, I mean, I don't really... And guys, I was listening to it while at a Goodwill. <laughs> but I believe... I mean, there was the stuff about the pictures, like... Hey, like, let me in. I'm so mad at you. Oh, maybe one day I'll let you take my picture. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it it more just seemed, from what I remember, it was, this was the character. Yeah. And he took photos, and he was very mad. And he was the landlord. He was, I don't 
know if he's the landlord. I, he might just be the upstairs neighbor. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe he's the landlord. What I think what I was so struck, what we were so struck by while watching it was how easily you could cut out all of those scenes yeah. and have the film work just as well. Mm-hmm. Not, I, you know, there's like a very fine line between removing incredibly like mm-hmm. racist content mm-hmm. and then it being lost to time and it not like people being unaware of like how racist something was yeah but I just wish that it, I think it's something that really in an otherwise delightful film colors it in such a uncomfortable way and such like an unnecessary way yeah and also something I learned that I believe it was the director but maybe it was the writer um, I'm so sorry y'all this is actually I know all the answers I just want you to listen to the audio book yeah um audible sponsor us so <laughs> um but actually the he Mickey Rooney was friends with James Blake yes the James Blake Edwards. Blake Edwards. He was James friends. Blake. I mean, I like <laughs> that. Y'all beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. He, and he's friends with James Blake. And he's also friends with James Blake. There we go. But um, he, you know, Mickey Rooney had been in Hollywood forever, and he's a a veteran physical comedy person. So they did this whole publicity stunt. Where they made up a fake name and they were like, oh, this actor is They made up like a fake Japanese actor. Yes. And they were like, they like put it in the newspaper, like this famous, uh, this comedic Japanese actor is coming to America for the first time to do their first American film. And then they wrote, someone wrote a letter back as this made up actor, like in very offensively crudely written letter about how yes I am coming to America to be in breakfast at Tiffany's and what's so funny and we don't need to get a a jail get out a free card because it was the olden days however you can kind of process that you're like well it was a different time not saying it's okay but you still have that thought yeah well when they were making the movie they all they actually they were like man (laughs) this portrayal is gonna um, upset people. So we're gonna have like a dignitary's wife come in as like an expert, you to, know. To make sure to, that the, the portrayal is fine. Which, and it still wasn't. And, and even, so even at the time people knew People are going to get upset about this. People are not going to enjoy this. No. But it's it's just such a, like, a boys club kind of thing. Ugh. It's such a fratty thing where it, I, I know that the director and the producers thought it was so funny. Like, Mickey Rooney was cracking them up and they were like, I know that this is already a hundred years dated. Yeah. But I, in this moment, but think my, it's funny. And I have to have this edgy humor mm-hmm. in my edgy film. All that to say, aside aside from the moments, I think something that could so easily be completely wiped from the film mm-hmm. and no one would miss it, not even the plot, no. not even like an alien watching it in a hundred years, they'd be able to understand this film without any of the scenes with Mickey Rooney yeah. being the, racist. Yeah, and the establishing intro to Holly Golightly is 
this guy buzzing her in. Yeah. But you, we still, without that intro scene of her being buzzed in, we still understand she, she forgets stuff a lot. She gets, and yeah, she gets uh, uh, into her apartment by inconveniencing someone. Yeah. The portrayal doesn't need to be racist. Another thing you did talk to me about earlier mm. was the marketing of um, trying to get around <gasps> the character of Holly Golightly being yes. a call girl. A call girl. Do you want to explain that? Yes. Yeah. So, obviously, with the censors of the time, they were call girl delicate. So, and I kind of wonder, you know, in the movie, y'all, how it's delightfully, like, ambiguous? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. I also, first time watching it, I, like, had to look up to double check it was like five or six years ago, but I still was like, or maybe even longer. And I was like, she's a, she's a call girl, right? Because they're so good at kind of, you just understand. Yeah. But, um, so they decided, like they had the marketing meeting. They were like, okay, y'all. All right. <laughs> um, so, uh, movie breakfast at Tiffany's is happening. And I said, what, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's. Exactly. And then everyone... What are we gonna call the call girls? Is kook. She's kooky. And so I kind of think it's interesting that she does all these kooky things. Yeah. So I almost wonder, did they pre-decide Holly was gonna like... Because it's not in the script, like... Her phone is in a suitcase. Yeah. Her shoe is in a fridge. And this isn't in the book? No. Her, her phone. She does... She's oh. she's all over the place and darling and charming. And it might even be that... I believe her, like, apartment isn't decorated. Yeah. But she's not as eccentric, which... I don't know, y'all. I just think the movie might be better. I think sometimes the movie is better than the book. Mm-hmm. Like, holes. Like holes, just or, or just as good, just as good. Yeah, I will say, um, Princess Bride. Oh, movie so much better than the book. So, but there are like, I mean, you just get to like, oh my gosh, like the the how it's written is so juicy and yummy and so intelligent. Yeah, but the the movie's fabulous. The movie's fabulous. Um, we can have a like a, a sixty second filmmaker lens. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. This movie is so gorgeously shot. I mean, Blake Edwards. It, mm-hmm. it, it, this is, I don't know who the DP is. We'll put it in the in the show notes. It is just like every single shot is so beautiful. All of the colors are so thoughtful, so thought out. I think in terms of even like establishing a world that she lives in, that like all of these characters exist in. It just makes sense. And honestly, like, you and I watch a lot of, like, classic films. Mm -hmm. And after a certain point, it becomes really hard to engage with them because they just feel so foreign from our reality. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about the film in terms of its, like, organic quality. It just sort of taps into, like, the nature of humanity in a way that doesn't often happen, even in films today. Yeah. Like, we were even just watching and going... Look at the lipstick colors. <gasps> and not just like, ooh, we're girls, we like lipstick, but it was more just like how everything was lit. So um, Franz Planner is um, director of photography. Okay, amazing. And um, he also lit her in uh, Roman Holiday. Oh. Which, like, how different and gorgeous I and know. beautiful. So I-, I think 
what else do we need to say? I mean, I think we should look at this a little bit from a lonely girl lens. Totally. Um, in the film, like, what were some of your favorite lonely girl moments? I think oh. running in the rain is very lonely girl. So lonely. I, I, ooh, I will say I need to highlight the reason I think, the, the reason I return to Breakfast at Tiffany's, the reason I like it is the line, I've never had my mental health summed mm. up so well as, um, the, the, like, the blues are, like, their own thing, but... Uh, the mean reds and I'll I'll get the mean reds and I'll immediately like when I'm thinking about it I'm like it's when you're scared but you don't know what you're scared of and I have uh, famously I have anxiety Mm -hmm. but oftentimes I'm getting pumped the chemicals that That I'm in danger yeah exactly I I am in danger but there's absolutely nothing so sometimes And when we talk about our lonely girl moment of the week, a lot of times that can be something that where we're getting the mean reds Mm -hmm. and the thing that we do in order to combat it can often be that lonely girl thing. Mm -hmm. And so like running through the rain. Exactly. Having breakfast at Tiffany's at 5 a.m., that's such a lonely girl moment. Yeah. And that's what she does to combat the mean reds. To combat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think we all have or we need to find those things that make us, I always say it's kind of like feeling like myself. Sometimes that's me going to the movies by myself. Yeah. That's something that just makes me feel like me. And that for Holly is uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it. Um, so we've talked about Truman, Lonely Girl, we've Holly. About Holly. We'll probably have to dive into Audrey Hepburn as a Lonely Girl mm-hmm. in a future episode. Yeah. But I think this is such, perhaps an accidentally, mm. an unintentionally perfect performance. Yeah. Where it's just the right combination of Audrey's own just personal elegance and sparkliness where she can sell a character that would be so incredibly unlikable mm-hmm. in many other situations but mm-hmm. is beloved and iconic another lonely girl um moment that i love in this film is leaving your own party yes leaving your own party um uh playing guitar on a windowsill Ooh, girl. We also um, one of our one of our shared most favorite things is all, the whole party sequence. But um, cry, laughing in the mirror, laughing at yourself in, in the, the mirror, mirror, and then, and then crying. crying. Yes, at yourself in the mirror. Yes. Um, I think just like drinking milk out of a like a champagne goblet is a very lonely girl moment. Um, I I don't maybe it's just because. This was the moment that freaked me out. But when she's all in pink, which also... And ripping up pillows. Ripping up pillows, but then also I love that this is after her and Fred are not friends and they're not being friendly and she's committing to like, I'm going to marry this man and he's going to fix me. Um, Marrying a rich man to fix you. Oh, very... Very, very lonely, lonely girl. girl. Very lonely girl. And it's taken me, I mean, I really have to just talk myself out of down. so many proposals. Yes. Because I am out just. Yeah, because I just want a rich time. man to fix me. I know. But I I just love the performance 
of Holly's performance of a happy, sparkly. So she literally, for the first time, puts on color. Yes. To perform, I'm the girl you want. Yes. You know, um, look at how pretty and happy I am. Wearing earplugs. Wearing earplugs. Refusing to take out your earplugs. Yes. Very Uh, lonely girl. Hating sensory overload. Overload. Yeah. Very lonely (laughs) girl. Yeah, also, not just earplugs. Eye mask. mask. With eyelashes on it. All so lonely So lonely. And having a cat. Oh, having a cat is very lonely girl. Just in general. Just owning a cat is... Refusing to name the cat. Yes. Very lonely girl. And just, I think, like... Needing to feel mysterious. Making your life inconvenient. Mm, and inconsistent. Inconsistent, inconvenient, quirky. Um, very. I, also, I think the the little the issue she gets with Sammy Tomato. Yes. I think trusting a situation and then it and then biting just, you in the butt. And just sort of kind of being the type of person who for the most part, can get themselves out of sticky situations. Mm -hmm. I think that is maybe Holly Golightly's, like, biggest uh, misfortune in life is the lack of consequences that she faces. Because there's never... Because she is so sparkly and she is so charming and intelligent, Mm. she's... It's going to take a long time before she actually has to face her consequences, and she's not going to learn that much. And and I think the guy that she ends up with, Fred Baby, um, mansplaining... Mansplaining the Dewey Decimal System? (laughs) Not Lonely Girl. Not... (laughs) Very Lost Boy. (laughs) Very Lost Boy. Um, And it is kind of this weird thing that there are moments where, like, I love Fred... And I like, I'm like, and it is kind of this thing of like, no, no, you don't belong to anyone. But also, I think lonely girls do want to believe mm. that we belong. And so that maybe at some point we'll be happy with belonging to someone. Yes, maybe. But no, we're wild. But no, thing. we're wild and free oh. and no one can contain us. Do, do, do. So all that to say. Holly Go Lightly. Holly Go Lightly, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Such a lonely girl, mm-hmm. and I would say it's not even like a morality tale where mm-hmm. anything really sort of tragic happens or she even faces abject consequences, but it doesn't... Audrey Hepburn makes you want to be her. Mm-hmm. But the Holly Golightly from the books, you don't really want to be no. her. No, 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 no. I think that's... You, you want the spark... You want... The neighbor to be in love with you. You want all the men to you pine for you. You want to sit on you. a windowsill and strum a guitar and like stare at someone and smile, but with like shimmery tears. Yeah, which I guess is I was doing a bad Audrey impression earlier today. <laughs> no, she was doing a really good Audrey Thank impression. You. I did look really pretty the entire yeah, time. Yes, yeah, which is actually the most important thing. Actually, this is true because when we were walking back from the bookstore, I was told. You had had a beautiful dress. And, like, we both were wearing dresses. And the woman... And here's the thing. I was was not contesting this woman at all. A woman Mm -hmm. with two gorgeous dogs. And big, big sunglasses. Big sunglasses. Looked at Rebecca. Made a point. Was smiling the whole time while she was looking at Rebecca. And made sure Rebecca knew, 
I love your dress. That dress looks so good on you. Pause. To me, mm-hmm. your dress is great too. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. I know. Rebecca's dress is better. This oh. dress is amazing. It looks so good on her. Oh, thank you. Because sometimes it like hits me under the boobs and then it just kind of flows. And sometimes and I'm like worried this... it makes me look dumpy. No, it's this gorgeous like sort of brown retro, mm-hmm. which you like doesn't you don't think and but with your coloring and your hair it looks so good it'd be so hard for anyone else to pull off (gasps) thank you so much and so that is sort of the message of this whole podcast is cry at a bookstore so Mm -hmm. a woman wearing giant sunglasses holding two dobermans Mm -hmm. on a single leash in one hand will compliment you on a dress only you can pull off. Thank you. And I hope now you know what What about about Breakfast Breakfast at Tiffany's and Holly Golightly and Truman Capote. If if they want to pass you some information at Mm. Sing Sing. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um... Where, what, what sort of um, information about the weather could they pass your way in order to find you? Oh my goodness. Well, just, oh, she is, this is a smug little kitten. <laughs> I'm looking at a smug little kitten. Um, yeah, my Instagram is Rebecca Botter, and you better be following Lonely yep. Girls Podcast. And um, what about you? You, Madeline Turner. Um, you can find me on TikTok with lots of lonely girl content. Unfortunately, I don't have anything pertaining to Breakfast at Tiffany's. I feel like it's, I don't know, it feels a little too iconic for me to tackle, but mm. it, we might get there. We might figure something out. At Madeline Turner. And then if you want to find me on Instagram, where I'm way lonelier, um, it's at Turner Madeline. Um, I, we also have a... A playlist on Spotify, yeah, music for lonely girls that you guys mm-hmm. should check out. Um, if you feel like wandering the streets of New York City at 5 a.m. while you eat what I presume is a bagel and a coffee, mm-hmm. and you want to listen to some lonely girl tunes, I would highly recommend it. I'm very proud of the playlist. I think eventually you're a busy gal, famously, <laughs> but I think whenever it inspires you, you should have like. Lonely girl playlist for crying in the rain. Yes. Lonely girl playlist for, for like wandering through a manor. Mm-hmm. And if you can, walking through a city. And if you can think of whatever song Madeline is being haunted by, please. For oh the my god. Love it. Message me though, so yeah. I can send it to mm. Maddie. Yeah. No, I can't handle it. No. Okay. Well, we love you. We love you. We love you, lonely girls. Mm-hmm. We want you to stay. Oh. Stay lonely, but not alone. Yeah. Yeah. We love you. Wait, let's say that one more time. Stay lonely, but not alone. Bye.